Hi, I'm Chantal. I have ADHD. Welcome to episode seven. Um, I don't know why I waited so long to do this episode. No, I do. Um, a lot of things kind of ended up getting in the way. It's been a bit of a year. So here we are, January 31st. Oh my gosh. December 31st, 9.07 at night, New Year's Eve, and I meant to record this episode at least a few days ago. I meant to do it sort of in between Christmas and New Year's, because I do find that, for me, that strange kind of downtime in between the holidays and New Year's, it can be... It can be a good time to just look back and look forward and just kind of think about life, just in general. Think about people, think about, you know, all of those things that we kind of start to think about naturally when things slow right down. So I've ended up sort of reserving this time specifically for that because it ends up happening anyway. And now partially I have waited to the last minute to do this episode uh, because things have been a little bit busy. But the other reason is that I've really not been looking forward to talking about the stuff that I'm going to talk about in this episode. Um... If it ends up being a bit of a downer, um, I hope at least it's a downer that people will relate to so that, you know, people who are definitely going through this sort of thing themselves or who have in the past and felt very isolated because of it, maybe won't feel so strange or so alone or who knows, maybe it'll just be stressful. Um, so I'll, I'll go over a little bit what I'm going to talk about so that if you don't feel like listening to it, you know, you'll kind of know before I get into things. <sighs> Basically this episode is going to be a bit of a, a review of the year, a bit of a review of 2022 and how that went and what happened and I guess for me personally, um, it's going to be a way of really closing the chapter that was this year, and that's partially why I'm doing it late in the evening, December 31st, because come tomorrow, I just, the, the thing that I want most for this coming year, because I don't necessarily do resolutions. Um, I don't think they're inherently problematic or anything. I just, I tend to you know, have a, I have wishes for the, for the coming year. I have things that I'd like from it, if possible. But my top thing for this coming year is just, I, I don't want to have to talk about this past year. I don't want to have to think about it if I don't want to. If someone asks me about certain things that happened this year, I think it would be better if I just have 
a link to give them to listen to this instead of me having to relive it and talk about it. Because um, that would just be my, my treat for getting through this year. Really is never having to talk about it again if I don't want to, which I, I can't imagine necessarily wanting to. So there will be some good stuff in talking about this year for sure. But this year was also heavily, heavily marked by some bad stuff, which I've debated talking about or not talking about for well, most of the year, really. <sighs> it's just been such a stressful, stressful time. And folks with ADHD... I, I don't think you'll be surprised when I say that the reason for all the stress was work-related, was, sorry, more, more specifically, was job-related. Because isn't it amazing how what should be just a, a part of your day, a, a part of your routine, a thing that gets you money to pay rent and groceries and whatnot can actually end up, fairly regularly, end up destroying our mental health and physical health. And um, maybe one day I'll do more of an in-depth dive about work and ADHD and about unhealthy workplaces, because I did go through a doozy of one between the years of 2014 to 2018, one that gave me the first and only suicidal thoughts of my life. And I, there were people that I trusted in that job who were supposed to protect me, whose mandate it was to protect me, and who threw me under the bus. And I got looked at like... I don't even know what. Like I had two heads. Like I had a tail. Who knows what? Uh, probably not like I had a tail, because things with tails are typically pretty cute, and that's not how people looked at me. And I wasn't I wasn't allowed to talk about it. Um, they explicitly told me not to talk about it with colleagues, and so everyone thought that I must have really buggered something up. And I, I thought that that would be the worst working experience that I could have. And, and I thought, you know, after something like that happens, and after it really destroys you, and it, it absolutely demolished me, I thought, well, if ever that happens again, it's going to be a while before it does, because what would be the odds? And so I, I pulled myself together with lots of therapy. And... I got back in the saddle, and um, I was very careful. I found a workplace that I thought was going to be really safe. Um, I had reasons for thinking it was going to be safe, and I'll get into those in a minute. And uh, it seemed good. Everything seemed too good, which was great, and, and I was willing to believe that it really was going to be that good. And... I still can't believe 
that it happened again, only worse, and and again, this time I had someone who was supposed to be there for me, who was supposed to protect me, who said he was going to protect me, and who just did as much damage as, as anyone's done in a long time. So, um, I've just come out of that feeling incredibly disappointed, and then, and then all of the aftermath, all of the, because I'm, I'm just, I am so tired of things, people expecting, people expecting you to just sweep things under the rug because it's easier. It's easier for everybody. Well, sure, it might seem easier, but also it makes everything harder because then, you know, these sorts of situations just come up again and again and again for somebody else or for, for you too. And you either deal with it now or you deal with it later, but one way or another, you know, we're going to have to deal with things. And I decided to deal with it then. So... I went through this awful process trying to actually address what happened and try to hold people accountable and try to actually get some semblance of, of reparation, maybe fixing something, actually, you know, actually addressing what happened for real. And it turns out that it just, not only was it not simple, but that whole process damaged me too. So, um, I've just come out of the whole thing really disillusioned, angry, mainly very, 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 very tired, and now depressed. Um, as I speak, I am undoubtedly going through another bout of depression, which, as we all know, um, it does come with the territory with ADHD. It, it happens. We know that it's not a question of if it's going to happen again. It's it's really when. And um, I'm sure folks will understand when I say that no matter how much you try to mitigate it, no matter how much you try to prevent the depression coming, even when you see the signs of, you know, you, you see those circumstances manifesting and, and you know the risk. You, you know that certain situations are, are just prime situations for depression to, to grab hold. But I mean, no matter how much you try, and trying is still good, because sometimes you might succeed, but we all know that no matter how much we try, we don't have real complete control over avoiding a depression. Um, sometimes it happens no matter how much you try. And, um, and the, the really hard thing about that, which is why we want to prevent it as much as possible and we try to, is that when it does take hold, it doesn't let go until it's ready. It, I mean, we can do things to try and help it along, but depression doesn't let go until it says so. So I'm writing it out. I'm just trying to write it out and... and you know, just, just get through it. Just, 
I don't enjoy being depressed. It's just not fun, and I hate the waiting and waiting and waiting. You know, you wait for a day that's good, and you wait for more days that are good, and then eventually you find yourself, you know, kind of on the outside of it, finally. But it doesn't really give you a schedule or a roadmap. So yeah, this is going to be a super fun episode. Um, yeah, there will be some good stuff. Um, but also, yeah, if, if work stuff stresses you out, I I might not recommend this. So, uh, I'm thoroughly bummed out. <laughs> Let's, let's get into the nitty-gritty. Oh my gosh. I will say beforehand, I have been so nervous to talk about this. So nervous. I just, it's, it's a topic that I am almost scared to touch back on in my mind because it's just been so mm, not fun. Not fun. But let's let's see about getting it out and see if, you know, maybe getting it out and sharing it will make me feel better. Maybe it'll help other people. Maybe it'll help me close this chapter in my mind and, and finally start to do some healing. Okay, here it goes. So last year... Last year, I had had a job with a place that I felt pretty comfortable with, pretty safe at. <sighs> I had already worked there in a different capacity earlier that year on a contract. It was fine. You know, this was, um, this place was associated with the community that I belonged to. Um, which is what makes the entire thing so much worse. <sighs> Another reason why I felt quite safe there was because a friend of mine has a relative who worked in a position um, that I was answering to when I took this new position. And knowing that friend, and knowing their relative, I, I mean, I had no reason not to trust them. It, it was a, it, it was as hopeful a situation as you could ask for. And, um, I know I, I know I wasn't wrong to hope that it was going to be a good situation for me, and one that I could maybe stay in. <sighs> Which is why I still can't believe how much this person I was answering to let me down. Um, now, as, as you can probably surmise, um, that's why I'm not ready to name the place 
and I'm not ready to name any of the people. I am still friends with my friend. At least I'm, I'm pretty sure. I don't think my friend knows anything about this. If they do, I... Gosh, if they do, I don't know what they think of me. Who knows? Maybe... I don't know. But it has been difficult to keep this out of my mind when I'm spending time with this person in any capacity or communicating with them. It's, it's always in my mind. What if, what if they know all of the stuff that went down? What if they think that I had something terrible to do with it, that, that I wasn't doing something above board? Who knows what someone has said about me? I mean, I, I don't know. I guess in some way, I, I think I should still be able to trust their family member who worked with me, but I mean, I was clearly wrong about him already, so who knows, maybe that's really misplaced too. <sighs> but anyway, so I'm not going to mention details, I suppose. And if this person knows, then hey, here's my side of the story, if it's not already known. So, I had every reason to think that I was safe. And it was a three-month contract, and one that was going to be extended. Um, the relative of my friend was the, the highest authority at this workplace except for the board. This person would answer to the board. But otherwise, he made it very clear when I started off that it was perfectly fine that I was neurodivergent, which was amazing. There were no problems with that. That's not any of what comes later. Um, that it was a safe place. That my previous work trauma was understandable and, and that I would be safe here. And that barring me, and this is verbatim, um, barring me messing up to the point of like fraud, effectively, I was assured continuation of my contract because it was sure that they were going to need somebody in January. So this was a job that started in October. The contract would end December 24th of that same year. And then they said, we absolutely need someone in January. And short of you messing up to the point of fraud, it's sure that we're going to need you. So I was feeling strangely comfortable eventually. I mean, it, it took time because I did have that past history from 2014 to 2018 of having an incredibly unhealthy workplace, which I've still never heard anyone speak positively of. Um, anyone who's heard of Invesco, anyone who's had 
a relative working for Invesco, a spouse, a sister, a anybody, a friend, like anyone, <laughs> anyone who's had any connection to Invesco has always said to me when I'd, when I'd say, oh, you know, how they, how they like it and how was it for them? They'd say, oh my God, absolutely nothing, nothing, nothing good to say about that place. Yep. That <laughs> sounds about right. Um, so, you know, coming out of there, I, I thought, okay, like I've got some trauma, but you know, the more I took time, the more I, the more I tried to trust that everything was going to be okay in this new job. I was getting there. I really was. Which is why it was such an incredible gut punch when on December 6th, everything got turned on its head. Absolutely everything. I've been assured by the Human Rights Commission, who I worked with after, and I, I don't mean work with in, in a, an employment capacity, I mean worked with them, in order to deal with all of this, that the story is mine, that it's my experience. No one gets to tell me not to speak about this in any capacity. So, I have every reason right now to believe that that should be true. Plus, I'm not naming names, so I... But of course, ADHD and past experiences, I, um... I still hesitate. I'm still scared that... I don't know if someone's going to try and sue me for talking about them. I need to tell this story. I was working mainly alone. Um, I was a coordinator, so I was reception, and, and I did a lot of other things as well for this workplace to kind of generally do the admin and, and keep things going, help with projects, organizing things. Um, a, a few different things, a few different capacities, which is, is great for ADHD because, you know, lots of different projects on the go they can pick up and put down as, as the brain allows. I mean, it's, it was not bad. And with COVID and a few people being away in general in other provinces for other needs, um, a lot of the other employees weren't working from that location most of the time. And a couple of the other people were commuting between this location and one in another city. So often it was me and this other guy uh, who were working there in person, and it was often just us in the building, which was fine. And then, you know, clients, I want to call them clients, uh, walking in and out every now and again, as need be. Um... And yeah, me and this other guy, uh, what am I going to call him? I'm not going to call him by his real name. Uh, 
Something easy. You know what? Why don't we call him Rob? Let's call him Rob. You know what? Because, I mean, any any Robs who are lovely people, this does not apply to you. You are lovely. Your name is lovely. This guy, I am going to specifically associate his name, his version of Rob, with robbing me of my dignity, my income, my job, my time, my energy, my mental health, um, all kinds of stability that I was looking forward to. So, yeah, Rob was um, not the friendliest person, but, you know, I've... Some of the people that I haven't immediately gelled with in the past end up being the people who are just the most wonderful people. And some of the people that I gel with immediately end up seriously disappointing me. So, I mean, you just never know, and it's not that that's the recipe of, oh, if I like them to begin with, then they're no good. It's not really that simple. Gosh, I wish it were. But, um, you know, all that to say, Rob was kind of shy, kind of reserved, kind of standoffish, a little awkward, and, and not the friendliest person. Not mean, just not super friendly. And that didn't really bother me, because people take the time they take to warm up to you, to, you know, form a relationship, a working relationship, any kind of, you know, it just takes a little time for some people. So, I chalked it up to shyness, and I mean, hey, we're all allowed to be shy. Certainly not a mean thing to be, is it? It's just shyness. A lot of us can't help it. And in the roughly three months that I was working there, at the time that this happened on December 6th, two, three months, um... There still really wasn't much of a working relationship. It was still pretty awkward just to say hey or to check in or honestly, it was yeah, it still felt like day one, practically. Which again I mean, some people are just like that. That's not really the thing that I'm gonna criticize about them. But it's just to sort of flesh in the picture and and the whole thing. Just just to kind of give some context to the whole thing. So, so that was fine. And so what what had happened on December 6th? There was something that actually made this whole thing come up. So, I'm, um, I am a member of the LGBTQ community. I, it's not really something that, like, I, for me, it's just, that's who I am. I've never officially come out. I'm just, I don't know. That's just me. That's just always been me. There's never been an in, so there's not really an out. So I'll just put that out there. Yes, it's relevant. Not that it would be terrible if it weren't relevant, but anyway. 
brain. What am I even saying? Um, so that's me. And I understood from administration, from, from an administrative point of view that, um, this, this, um, institution, shall we say, was wanting to get more on board with my community. And were wanting to show that they are a welcoming space, that they're a safe space for people like me. And I said, you know, you guys don't really have any signage up or anything. Like, why is that? And I said, oh, well, it's just not really come up, I guess. Like, that's perfectly within your purview to do this, if you like. Because I was being asked at the time um, to be on a committee that hadn't yet been established even at the time. It was going to probably come about in the new year. It was heavily delayed. Heavily, heavily delayed. Uh, red flag right there. Um, it was a, a committee on diversity and equality. And equality. Um, yeah. So they said, you know, since we've asked you to be on this on this committee that's upcoming, that's definitely in your purview, but it's also in your purview as our admin person who's sort of responsible for this, the, the common spaces in this building. So please go ahead and take initiative. And so I did. I put up a, um, I put up the pride flag. Um, the, the, like the complete pride flag, the one that has all of the elements in it. Oh, what's that called again? Pride progress flag, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. And I also put up a poster that detailed all of the different flags and talked about what they meant. And these things were put up um, in the reception area, which, again, is it's my working area. That's broadly, you know, that's, that's my realm. That was my realm. And so I had put those up on, on, I think, a Friday night. And then I guess over the weekend, there was a group in. I didn't work on weekends, a lot of us didn't, but I guess there was a group in that was doing something in our space, um, which happened sometimes over the weekend, and that'll be relevant in a second. And then on Monday, at the end of the day, Rob comes down as I'm getting ready to leave. We're the only two people in the building. And, I mean, it's December, it's nighttime, I'm alone. I'm not very big, either, so, context again. And this guy is fairly, you know, not gonna say burly, but can definitely heft a lot more of those giant workplace water jugs than I can, let's just say that. 
And um, yeah, he comes up and and asks, "What's what's the deal with these up here? What's what's up with this stuff? Is that like?" I said, "Oh, those I put them up on Friday. Right, what's up?" And he he says, "Oh, I I thought that maybe the the group that was here on the weekend might have put them up or something." So at this point, I'm thinking, uh, "Okay, would that have made a difference?" <laughs> don't don't see what it matters who put them up. I started to realize what was up eventually here. Um, he just started launching into this impassioned rant. This just, I mean, I, as I mentioned, uh, this person's been very reserved up until that point, right? Very reserved, kind of shy. We've barely said anything to each other. We haven't really had a conversation of any real kind up until that point. I think we had spoken once about like languages or something because he spoke a few, and like otherwise, nothing, absolutely nothing. And he just goes into this rant, talking about oh, just going into this incredibly cringeworthy right-wing spiel about just how trans people and gay people and people who are queer and just how the lot of us well not he didn't say like the lot of you guys because he I don't think he realized I mean as I said I've never been in a closet and I, I don't really think that a workplace, especially in a place like where I'm living, needs or deserves to know all the ins and outs of my identity so long as it doesn't actually pertain to a specific subject at hand. Um, I'm not ashamed of it, but also it's not something I'm going to offer up just because. You know, I don't say, hi, I'm Chantal, I'm, I'm bi, or I'm pan, or, you know, I don't... <sighs> I don't, I don't just, that doesn't come with my name. <laughs> I'm sure all the straight folks probably don't do that either. Hi, I'm Tiffany. I'm straight. How are you? Um, lots of Tiffany's are gay. That's not why I chose to, I don't know. I just, you know what I mean. It's just not a thing that any of us do. So, I mean, he didn't know that I belonged to the LGBTQ plus community, and there was no reason that he would know or should know, and he didn't know, and he assumed, I guess, that I was a cis, white, straight person. <sighs> and yeah, it just said, this community, these, these people, these trans people and gay people and whatnot, like, what is all of this baloney? I mean, what is this stuff? He just started sounding outraged. Oh, God, I'm starting to feel outraged just talking about it. Oh, my God. I just, I still can't, uh, just remembering the look of disgust on his face and outrage in his voice and how he just got more and more impassioned about it. I just, uh, you... You know, you read these things in stories, you, you hear stories through other people of incidents, but like I, I had never experienced a full-blown thing like this for myself in the past. I've never been alone 
in this little corridor off to the side of my of my reception desk, um, just kind of trapped in this space physically, uh, with someone spouting these things at me. I, <laughs> I just was completely gobsmacked. I was totally shocked. I was I was really unprepared for this. I've never dealt with it before, and um, you know you know the the term fight or flight. Um, I think I may have mentioned this before that there's kind of an alternative to those as well. There's like a fight, flight, or sort of in the middle of a freeze. I'm the freeze. My initial reaction to shock like that, to a threat, to like anything of this nature is just I kind of. I just kind of freeze and yeah, there's, there's some thinking that can still sort of happen, but it, it's still like, you just, I just, I get so shocked. Um, so yeah, there, there he was just spouting these horrible, horrible, horrible things. Oh gosh. And he got into so many areas of hatred too. I just, I couldn't believe how much he covered um, cause the next day, uh, cause well that, that evening when I finally got home and I'll, I'll just jump ahead real quick here. So that evening when I got home, I, I immediately messaged, um, the, the higher up, the, um, the relative of my friend and told him, look, like <laughs> some stuff went down tonight and, and this is super not okay. Like I, I'm not going into work tomorrow if, if no one else is around. I'm not going to be in the building alone with this guy. We got to talk. Like, it, it, you're going to want to know about this stuff. I've got stuff to talk to you about. And uh, it's not good. It's not good. And he said, yeah, of course, like, I'll, I'll be there. Um, and then he wasn't. Um, he, he didn't get in for a while. Am I recalling this correctly? Was it the next morning or was it, or maybe it was, maybe it was the day after that, that I couldn't go in without somebody. I can't remember now. I have it all written down somewhere, but, oh, our memory is so great when we try and look back on stressful events, but luckily that's why I have everything written down. Oh boy. And and when you've gone through something like this, like I, like I went through with Invesco, uh, you, you learn to like at the faintest whiff of something happening that's not right, especially when you have a memory like mine, um, you learn to write things down, dates, times, names, who was there. You start to be really, really meticulous about record keeping so that you don't have to rely on whether or not you're getting it right solely off of memory. And my God, did that come in handy because <laughs> the night that happened, I wrote everything down when I got home after getting in touch with my boss. Yep. So anyway, but uh, the next day, though, my boss was supposed to be in. We, we were scheduled to have a conversation, that I know, and it was supposed to be pretty much right away. Um, and I do remember expecting him to be there already before Rob came. And then there was a delay, um, cause my boss had just gotten in from a flight. He was at a conference the week prior for a few days and 
he had to go and get a COVID test. And at the time, um, COVID test meant like you were going into that, that drive-through lineup thing. And it was, you know, it sometimes took like an hour to get through. So like he was delayed, massively delayed. And Rob comes in and normally Rob would come in the back door, go up the stairs and I just wouldn't see him. Nope. This time Rob comes in the front door. Um, and I, I was just going to sort of not touch that whole conversation with a 10 foot pole. I was going to just, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. Nope. Sidles up to my desk and then rants at me for an additional 20 minutes. He had ranted at me for 40, 45 minutes the day before. And then this one, another 20 minute rant of just pure hate speech. Pure hate speech. Absolute madness. So yeah, between the two days, let's just say I've got a lot of notes. Oh my god. And he covered all kinds of topics was going to be my point. Um, All kinds of topics. So he covered all kinds of hateful comments about trans people, about trans people being so whiny that, oh, they, they always just trot out this line of, oh, I'm going to kill myself to, I don't know, get more expedient treatment for something or like to get more attention for something like, oh my God, it was insane. It was insane. Or like, like, said, your gender is your gender. You can put a man in the dress, he'll still be a man. He said, literally, and I quote, and I I can't believe I've actually heard a human being say this to my face. He said, and I quote, it's on the outside. That's what matters. Basically, the genitalia you're born with that dictates your gender. <laughs> oh, stuff like, oh, you know, if, uh, what, what was that weird comment? Oh, there was one, I wrote them all down. I don't even want to look at them right now. There was one about like, ah, uh, it was, it was about men versus women and like how it's important to, to tell whether someone's a man or a woman and like, Oh, if you if you see a couple of if you if you see someone out there out on the street, you see a a, a man hitting a woman, like you know, I'm I'm gonna gonna rush out there and help her, right? But like you know, if you see a couple of guys that are like you know, or a man hitting a guy that's dressed like a woman, but it's totally a guy, like you know, I'm not gonna get in there. Like I'd probably get hurt or something. Like what would you do? You wouldn't get out there. And I was like, uh, dude, I mean, I probably couldn't physically get in there if it was a man hitting a woman anyway, because he'd probably kill me, but I'm gonna freaking call somebody and break the shit up. Like, pardon my language. Um, like, <laughs> you don't just let people get abused, even if it is a man hitting a man. Oh my god. Like, it's just incredible. And then he, he denied that what has happened to the indigenous peoples of Canada was genocide. 
I I can't even unpack that. I that that just breaks my brain. Um he Yeah, he he said a lot of things about that. Actually, there were there were a few things. He also said something about two spirit. What is two spirit? Oh, that's not something that's real. They just invented that lately. Oh my God, no, that's not something that was invented lately. But like, he just didn't know anything about this stuff. Oh, yes, and also that, uh, oh, trans stuff and, and trans rights and LGBTQ rights, that stuff doesn't belong in schools because now you'll, you know, you'll have people thinking, oh, that their, that their bodies aren't their, you know, what they're supposed to be, and, and they'll start getting ideas. Oh, how terrible if they get ideas. And then what if they start to mutilate themselves? What if they start to think that they need an operation? And then what if they regret it later? Because a lot of them do, you know, I'm like, oh my good God. Yeah, it was, um, yeah. And, and he was specifically upset with me. Um, and this was the scary part for me personally dealing with this person in this workplace. Like the the threat, I mean, that's a obviously a huge cultural threat to begin with. So like there's that broader context as well. But like the, in terms of the immediate threat from this individual to myself, um, he said... As far as he was concerned, a lot of the people working there took his point of view and agreed with him, and that he was afraid that this one person, me, just one person, might ruin the working culture that he's been enjoying. That this stuff, this stuff, doesn't belong in institutions, that it certainly doesn't belong in any place involving education, that no one coming through these doors is is from this group anyway, because of course he would know, I'm sure everyone comes out the second you, you introduce yourself, right? Hi, I'm Kelly, I'm trans. That's not how we do things. How would he know what people are feeling, who they are in, in every aspect of themselves? Like, come on, you just don't get to say that. And yeah, he, he just thought that me, just me, that all of this would change because of one person, that his, that his, I think in his view, nice neutral workspace was going to get all gayed up and transed up and what have you. Rainbow, rainbow, rainbow. Because of one person. How terrible. How terrible. And he was disgusted. There were worse things. There were all kinds of things he said, but I have... I have four pages, just chocker block full of nasty, nasty, hateful comments 
which I have promised myself I'm never going to look at again. <sighs> yep. So that's, that's what happened. And then, as I mentioned, uh, so this was December 6th and then morning of December 7th, where he had the extra 20 minutes of nasty stuff. And then, and then, I, I knew that my contract was ending on December 25th. And I mean, I, I had a feeling right away. I mean, okay, we're in kind of a pseudo trial period contract type thing. You know, something like this could really throw a wrench in the gears for sure. So I, I had a feeling that things could maybe not go okay for me with this, especially if I pursued it. And I decided I would. Um, I mean, I, I think if you can, you do, right? And I felt like at the time I had the capacity, I had the emotional capacity, the, the energy, the, you know, felt like, you know what, I can do this right now. I, I guess that's what we're doing. So then it became this ADHD nightmare of figuring out how, how does one go about dealing with this? And also the time is then ticking. It's, you know, I have what, 20 days, less than 20 days to figure out if this will get resolved internally. Because if it doesn't, I'm thinking, okay, if I have to get this resolved externally through like the Human Rights Commission or something, do I need to be an employee at the time that I file a complaint? Or am I like, do I have no rights after that? Does it just end up looking like I'm, I don't know, um, you know, saying something frivolous uh, about a, a place that probably won't hire me back kind of thing. Because um, you just never know how people are going to look at something like this. Um, so th there was a lot of weighing, like, what do I do? What do I do? And time running out and, and constantly rethinking, like, is this still the best course of action? When is the time to switch courses? It was just incredibly stressful. So the first thing that was going to happen. Uh, so I, I had that meeting, uh, that, that, that next day, the, the day of the morning where, where that guy hate spewed at me for another 20 minutes, uh, that, that day, a little later, my boss came in, we had a conversation. Um, and he said to me that he wasn't entirely surprised. True thing. I still can't believe this. I have the whole thing recorded too. Because <laughs> did you know, by the way, that in Canada, you are allowed to record a conversation if you are a participant in the conversation. You have to be part of the com the conversation. You can't just be recording someone else's conversation, even if it's in your own home or what have you. you 
you know, there's a right to privacy. But if you're having a conversation, you're allowed to record the conversation if you're part of it. Was I going to tell him I was recording it? Oh my god, no. Because I, I just knew, like, this could go super badly, and I'm going to have absolutely no proof of anything. So I just thought, you know what, I've been through this before. Something not quite this bad, but like, you know, I've, I've, I've been thrown under the bus before with work. In Vasco. And, you know what? <laughs> I, uh, document, document, document. That's all you, that's, that's the only thing you can do with stuff like this is just get every bit of information saved that you possibly can in case they end up making you fight for your rights, which you just hope to not have to do. But in case you do, I mean, you can't retroactively go back and say, wish I had. Yep. So I recorded the conversation with my boss and I do have him on tape saying, this is not surprising. We have had several complaints in the past. Rob has made people uncomfortable. Rob has made someone who is from the LGBTQ community uncomfortable. Things got kind of resolved internally a little bit, or rather, not quite resolved, I don't think was exactly the connotation. It was more, they didn't push it. And then eventually the person ended up uh, working somewhere else. So I don't know. I have my questions about that now. Let's just say, <sighs> who knows? We'll never know. So yeah, it, it was not the first time. He was not surprised. He even said, cause I, I had printed off these four pages of notes. I'd even said, Hey, like, I printed off these comments and I could read them to you right now. And he said, well, you know, I, I just as soon not subject myself to that because I have a pretty good idea what's on there. Now he, he collected them anyway, but he already had a pretty good idea what it was going to say. He knew that Rob was very right wing, had some serious theories, was on a lot of you know, forums and websites for pretty far right leaning stuff. Um, had had some ideas. <sighs> he himself had heard Rob spout on about things like this. Somehow that wasn't dealt with at the time, and I don't understand why you wouldn't if you're their superior, but you know. So it goes. Um, so there was that. And at the time, which I wasn't thrilled about, because like, not the best, um, just not the best situation to have to bring this up in. Oh, I don't like having to. I don't like being basically forced to. I did tell my boss that I am part of the LBT, LBGTQ community. I was very specific about my sexual identity, my gender identity. And 
told them that while Rob clearly didn't feel like I was, like he was specifically targeting me, that really didn't matter. Because, I mean, you just, you don't know everything about someone you're talking to, especially especially in a relationship like that, where, as I mentioned, Rob and I, I mean, we, we didn't really have a working relationship. I It was, it was as though I had just met him yesterday. You know, it was, yeah. He was just completely closed off, just like that. So yeah, I was very candid. I was very clear about the whole thing. I said, there's no way that I can let this go. I, like, this This cannot, this can't stand. This is insane. And then I filled him in on the resolution from the night before, the temporary resolution from the night before of how I managed to get out of there and how scared I had felt as well. Because, again, I'm not exactly a big person. I was kind of trapped. Um, there was no way that I could safely get out if I had to in a hurry, if I were worried that this person wouldn't let me go. And he was angry. And I didn't know anything about him. I still don't know anything about him other than obviously this stuff. But I mean, a completely unpredictable person who has been so shy and so reserved that I, I've barely spoken to him until suddenly he goes off on this burning rant. I mean, that's unpredictable, right? So I was kind of scared. And I needed to get out. I mean, it, it was nighttime. There was no one else around. I'm dealing with hate speech. He's mad at me. I put up the posters. He wants them gone. I had to get out of there. So I said, listen, here's what I'm proposing. Because he just kept talking and talking and it was getting later and later and I needed to go home. I had a family to see. I said, listen, why don't we put a pin in this for tonight? Like, I understand you've got concerns. I understand you've got questions. Why don't we put a pin in this for tonight? Because we're, we're not going to change each other's minds tonight. Why don't we get into a room tomorrow, you and me and our boss, and the three of us have a conversation to unpack all of this? The three of us have a conversation. And he said, oh, yeah, no, he's just going to take your side. I said, look, I am talking to you in good faith right now. The three of us will have a conversation. It's not going to be a disciplinary conversation right away. Like, it's, it's just we're going to have a conversation. We're going to talk about this. You have concerns. Let's talk about them in an appropriate space, with a third party. And, you know, he's going to have to make that final decision on posters stay up or posters don't stay up, the, the poster and the flag. Um, and he said, well, you know what, fine. Fine. Like, but for tonight, they should come down. And I said, I am not comfortable with that. Why don't we keep them up until tomorrow? And then we'll see what he has to say and if he decides they should stay up. He said, no, I, I just can't agree to that. I just can't. 
that just, he said no. So I said, okay, fine. Why don't you and I reach a compromise? This is probably about the best that we're going to get to tonight. How about we leave the flag up and we temporarily take the poster down for tonight? No, no, he said, that's just, no. I said, okay, God, you, you know what? Like, I will put this pride flag in my personal space. Yes, it will be visible, but this is my space and I get to decorate it as I see fit. If I feel like displaying this, that is part of my space. I get to put whatever I want up on the walls there, so long as it's not, you know, you know, hate speech. Uh, I didn't say that, but you know, I'll put this in my space. We'll take the poster down for tonight. And that is the most I can offer you. Can you take this? He said, sure. You know what? That's fine. We'll talk about it tomorrow with him. Okay. And I got the fuck out of Dodge. And I was incredibly uneasy. I was very disturbed. I was shocked. I still can't believe that happened. I got out and I still consider myself lucky for having gone, gotten out. Um, cause I, I just, you just don't know sometimes what, what people are, <sighs> people surprise us all the time. And it's never a guarantee that with a situation like that, you're going to be okay and you're going to get out. So, yeah, the next day, as I'm, I'm talking with my boss, I'm, I'm talking about how, no, I, I can't just let this slide. And he starts talking about, you know, okay, well, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll bring him in. We'll have a disciplinary conversation. I said, well, look, I, I can't let you do that. Like, so here's, here's how we left things last night. I described the whole thing. I said, this is what I told him I could do. This is what I agreed to in good faith. And I meant it. And if I end up keeping working here, I I can't see, I can't have him, I can't have Rob seeing me as a threat, seeing me as someone who lies, because he already looks at people of my kind, of my community, as a bunch of liars. And I said, it's just not safe for me to have him thinking of me that way, and us working like this you know, being alone in the building a lot of the time, that just can't happen. That's not safe for me. So I do believe we're going to have to go through with this as I put it to him yesterday. And he said, well, <laughs> that's a lot more than he deserves. I hope you realize that. And I said, well, that, that might be, but also like, it's not safe for me to go back on my word like that. So he said, okay. That's what we'll do. And that day, because um, that was a Tuesday, uh, because of ADHD, um, I had a 30-hour-a-week schedule. So Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, I worked a full day, 9 to 5. And then on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I got to be home in the afternoons. And so after that meeting, I got ready. I, I went home. 
I had the afternoon off. Someone else covered my desk. Um, yeah, that was all good. And then the next morning, um, the, the flag that I had reluctantly moved into my own space behind my desk was moved. It had been moved about two feet over from where it was on the wall, where you could see it from, you know, a, a point where you were standing at, like, at the reception. If you were standing in front of me and I was at the reception, if, if you were the client, you would see it. So, like, behind me. And it had been moved a, a good two feet. And I, I thought at first, am I, am I crazy? I didn't put it over there. I, I know where I put it. This was a big deal to me the other night. I was careful to put it front and center, right here. I thought, am I crazy? Like, this just doesn't really make any sense why it would be over here. Just like, am I crazy? Did I put it over there? I don't think I did. And of course, knowing that, you know, I, I wouldn't have had that immediate, huh? If there wasn't something off. So I, I looked into it a little more. <sighs> yeah, this is where things get worse. <sighs> so the, the, the guy who usually would cover my desk, um, let's call him Ted. So Ted was um, someone who did a lot of, of really um, tightly interpersonal kind of the onboarding of people who were you know clients coming in from we'll call them clients uh, coming in from other countries who were quite vulnerable and you know didn't really know how things worked and, and he would would help them get, you know, cell phone plans set up for them and like lodgings and, you know, all of that stuff figured out because um, some of these people who were coming in were, I mean, one, they were young. Uh, two, um, it wasn't absolutely necessary to speak either English or French in coming here. And, and it was expected like, you know, there would be language labs and stuff set up for them once they, once they got here. But, um, you know, of course, naturally they needed support. And he was sort of that support person who was very hands-on with that stuff and helping them get all of that set up so that they were okay. And um, he would also do like, some social things to sort of get them integrated and, and you know, help them make some friends and, and meet each other too and stuff like that. So things to just really get people oriented and, and comfortable. Um, but I also knew this guy as having some interesting opinions, shall we say. Um, he was from a country that is currently having some, it's not everybody from, from there, but, uh, currently they are having some problems with racism, uh, and nationalism. And this person was decidedly anti-Muslim, um, thought that the, thought that the Muslim peoples around his country, um, were very dangerous and that they posed a great risk and 
that well he was he had quite a hard line that he he was really trying to convince the higher ups in this institution that um, we really shouldn't be taking in clients from other countries we we really should be focusing on Canada on you know seventy percent recruitment Canada thirty from anywhere else what have you you know because you know people aren't just people right of course not. I hope you know I'm being sarcastic. People are totally just people, in my view, anyway. So I I did sort of vaguely know that about him. I had mentioned it as a concern. Um, it's kind of flabbergasting, especially since, you know, his job involved actually helping specifically the people coming from away, from different countries, getting established here and feeling comfortable. Yep, quite judgmental dude. Um... A lot of the conversations, this, unlike Rob, Ted was a lot more open about, you know, just kind of being uh, vaguely judgy. Like, not always in, in the most bold statements, not not like Rob was, let's say. But um, there were things that, that you could either pick up on fairly regularly or, or every now and again, something that was outright said. So anyway, uh, he was covering my desk when I would be gone on Tuesday afternoons, and I knew where he had put his laptop, because he, he often had meetings um, that he preferred his laptop for over a computer, and they, they would be Zoom meetings, or Teams, or what have you. Um, and, God, I'm just feeling the stress already. I almost feel like I could throw up. So, I knew where he had put his laptop, because, I mean, my, my desk wasn't messy, but I you know, in admin, you, you do have things around that are like, you know, this thing goes here, that thing goes there, these things are here waiting for this person, these things are here waiting for that person, etc, etc. So, you know, I saw the space where his laptop had been, the, the space that was an empty space. And that was also the space that normally he set up on when I'd see him, you know, when he was there if he was there for, like, you know, covering a lunch or something for me. Um, and I realized pretty quickly that when you set up a laptop where his had been, um, the pride flag where I had had it was in the field of view, was in, in the frame with him. And I thought, oh... Oh, okay. Yep. And I, I went to check the spot where I knew it had been, and I, I felt to see if I could feel any residue of the tape. I felt, I, I took it off of where it was that day, though, like to, to see, like, can I feel anything? Does this tape leave any? So, okay, there's a little something, and then I, I felt around where I thought that it should be if it had been moved, just to make sure that I, I wasn't completely nuts. Um, not that I think that I am, but, uh, and there, there was, sure enough, there was. And I just, at first I couldn't believe it. And then I started to cry. He had actually, I mean, even if he was covering my desk, it, it still understood that it's my desk it's my desk. That's that was my workspace. He had moved 
something that I display in my workspace because because he didn't want to be seen with it in frame with him. That just crashed down on me, and I realized in that moment that that was a real oh shit moment of oh, this is the climate. This is the working climate. I understand now why Rob thinks that the people here must agree with him on his views. Because it's not necessarily that people had told him, hey, bud, you're right about all of these things. Did I mention he was also an anti-vaxxer? Oh, yeah. Threatened to quit his job over vaccination. Didn't do it, obviously. Also threatened to quit his job when they had done some sort of a pride thing years prior. Uh, they like painted a pride flag on something. And uh, he threatened to quit over that, too. Um, didn't do it, obviously. But, yeah. Um, yeah. So, that's that's the climate. So, okay, it's not that people necessarily agreed with him or, or something, like, full-on, you know, but... There's also that type of agreement where people appear to agree with him by not disagreeing with him. And it kind of seemed like some of that was happening. Because, I mean, my boss, who had already had Rob ranting at him before about things, just kind of, you know, took it in stride and uh, didn't do anything disciplinary or, like, you know, institute any sort of, hey, maybe we need some sensitivity training. Nope. Nothing like that. No education. No, you know, nothing like that. No, 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 no. Of course not. Uh, yep. And uh, to be clear, by the way, like this, Rob was not even someone who had been there that long, maybe a little over a year, like, he was not someone who was in any way indispensable, who was like, oh gosh, what are we going to do if we, although, also, if that had been the case, I mean, my personal opinion on that <sighs> would still not be very charitable to this institution, because I, I honestly think, even if someone is that indispensable, you can't just keep them around even though they're racist, bigoted, transphobic, homophobic. Like, you, yeah, just... That is not... And also, you shouldn't be in a position where you have someone who's that indispensable. Who, you know, if... If cutting one person, because you need to, would cause a huge problem in how your institution runs... You got a problem, but I mean, you know, we all know how things are running lately. It's uh, let's cut down on staffing. So I mean, yep. And yeah, same thing with Ted. Ted also had been there less than a year, I believe, something more like nine months, if I recall. So like, you know, they weren't, they weren't like, the whole place will fall apart if we have to cut these two people for their incredibly ridiculous ridiculous views which are actually really harmful to our institution and possibly quite harmful to the people who are trusting us. But, you know, that's... 
Yeah. Now I'm so angry that I'm just like, where even was I? Yeah. So I was crying at my desk. I, uh, I can't remember crying in a workplace. Oh gosh. I mean, that it's happened, I'm sure, but like, it's a rare thing, isn't it? Usually I'm too, usually if something happens, ah, I just get so stubborn about it that I, I just feel like they don't deserve me to cry. And I know that's not the healthiest thing. It, honestly, crying is <laughs> it's kind of the thing that you really should do. But, ah, oh, you, you know that feeling, though, sometimes that you get of like, oh, I want to cry, but oh my god, I'll be damned if I cry about these people. I just can't do that. I cannot, I will not do that. Yeah, that's kind of where I was most of the time for, like, other work-related things. Um, not necessarily there, just in general. Um, but that morning, I mean, I... Oh, boy. I cried, and I couldn't stop crying. And I immediately told my boss what had happened. I told him I just can't stop crying. I can't believe this is happening. I went to the bathroom. I, I cried in the bathroom. I cried alone in a bathroom. It's like something they do in movies. But that's, uh, yep, that's what I did. And he said, look like, you know, take the rest of the day off. Go home. This is, you know, we will deal with this. So I went. And then, you know what happened? was that meeting that I promised Rob that I needed to keep that promise with Rob that we would have that meeting between the three of us, me and our boss and him. Yep, yeah, no, my boss went behind my back, had a disciplinary meeting with Rob, um, aired a bunch of stuff, um, just said, now there, there are many things wrong with this here. Um, one of them being, he made me out to be a liar. And number two being, he made decisions about the disciplinary actions to take without asking me how I felt about them or if I thought they were appropriate. And so it was decided that Rob would be given a letter of reprimand that would be put into his employee file. And that Rob was more than willing to apologize to me if I would like. And as I had as I had said to my boss during that that initial meeting that we that we had on um on December seventh, um, I had told him that day, like, look, I you know I know you're probably seeing this as a problem, like an interpersonal problem between me and Rob. I I mean, Rob and I don't really have a relationship. We don't have a working relationship. As far as I'm concerned, this isn't actually about that. I mean, yeah, that's a thing that's kind of happening, sure. But the real issue here is 
actually more the working climate. It's more the underlying serious problems with this workplace and the views that are allowed to permeate the place and that are allowed to stand like that. Like, when when you've got someone telling you, like, hey, the whole office, like, basically agrees with me and, like, have the same views as I do, whoa. I mean, that, that tells me something's drastically wrong. Um, so as far as I was concerned, it's just, dude, like, this is not a safe workplace. There are some serious problems with the working culture. This just, this has to be nipped hard in the bud. And it's, it's not about me being, you know, upset with Rob or, you know, any of that stuff. It's, I mean, sure, it is a problem that I then didn't trust Rob because why would I? But it wasn't so much a problem of just like, oh, these two can't get along, or they need to make up, or what have you. Nope. Not the problem as far as why I was concerned. The problem was that it's not safe here, and it's supposed to be. So what do we do about that? So, you know, Rob, apparently, when, when talking to the bosses, without me, um, Oh, that's, that's when, instead of them getting this whole rant that I had gotten, nope, he was all, oh, I'm, I'm terribly sorry. I didn't realize it was inappropriate. Oh my goodness, I'm mortified. She must have been, like, really uncomfortable. I can apologize to her. Of course I'll apologize to her. Sucking ass, basically. And, and during that original meeting with my boss, too, um, one of the things that had come up that I also have recorded he he specified too that like this doesn't often come up in this way this this aggressive passionate way that he that he had in speaking to me that night that doesn't really come up with the higher ups one they're all men and uh the, two and the the thing that he said was rob tends to have this respect for authority and structure hierarchy you know like in the military like Part of this has probably happened to you specifically and others because they were in a subordinate or, or somewhat lesser position hierarchically to him. Basically, he's not going to pull this stuff with his bosses. Yep, so they knew that too. And yet they thought, oh, how lovely he's willing to apologize that's great, right? Doesn't that fix things? He's willing to apologize, and look, we've we've got this letter of reprimand. No problem. So there was no talk of, does this actually fix things? There was no talk about any of the stuff that happened with Ted moving my pride. Like, no, 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 no. That's just not something that was going to get dealt with at all, and it wouldn't. Later on, it still wouldn't, which later on was a shame. The whole thing was a shame. So, yeah, no talk of that stuff. Um, no, oh my goodness, it's so late at night, brain losing words. There were no um, repercussions, nothing nothing financially happening, no, you know, docking of pay or, or anything like that. No, um, no leave with pay. 
to, you know, not be there and, I don't know, get therapy. No mandatory therapy, no mandatory sensitivity training, education, which, by the way, we totally have access to that stuff. Yet, no, nothing to actually address any of the real problems there. And also, one of the real problems, <laughs> the biggest real problem I feel with this whole thing, was that this was a workplace that was willing to protect and accept and retain two people with these kinds of views who are working with young, vulnerable members of the public. <sighs> yeah, um, that's just, that's a whole nother level of, like, <sighs> there are no words for that. So, I said, like, I, that, that can't possibly not be enough, and also I, I don't, like, it's not that I'm refusing an apology here, it's just, it's not about the apology, it doesn't matter if he does apologize, and I don't really want to talk to him anyway, I, it just, no, like, it's not about whether or not he's contrite. Plus, I mean, he's surely not actually showing real contrition anyway. He's showing his smiling face to the bosses. That's all it is. And just none of that fixes anything. And they weren't... They didn't seem to think that it was necessary to work with me on this, on on what would actually be appropriate here. They, they didn't even... They didn't... They didn't tell me what was in the letter of reprimand. They didn't tell me what the effect of that even is of like, how long does it stay on there? Who who gets to see it? Does Rob get to append a, a statement of his own to it? Like, just nothing, because this was not a unionized place. There was just nothing about, like, okay, you've, you've given him a letter of reprimand. What what does that mean? Yeah, sure, there's a letter with a reprimand on it, but like, what what does that do functionally in your system here and in, in how you handle these things? What does that do? And also, this has happened before, so it's like, what is your process of escalation here? You already have, like, actual documented instances of stuff like this happening already, and he's, he's not even been there that long. And and for some reason, like, so what, this just keeps happening next time it happens again, and what, he gets another letter of reprimand, or he gets letter of reprimand and, like, I don't know, four days away from work, or, like, you know, when when does this actually, when is there going to be real movement on something really being done, and, and really taking this as an actual issue, not just something that, oh, thing happens, oh, we respond and we actually do something instead of just completely ignoring it. No, we'll, we'll just somewhat ignore it. We'll still do something. We'll still visu visibly do something. But like, at what point do you do something real, though? And, yeah. Um, yeah. And they didn't realize why I didn't feel safe there anymore. And so, yeah, then there was this whole process 
of working with um, the Workers' Compensation Board and figuring out how to make the workplace safer, um, figuring out what what the problems are in terms of me actually returning to work. Because um, returning to work physically, I mean, I, I ended up working remotely for the rest of my contract until Christmas. And um, returning to work, I mean, it just wasn't... Luckily, the person that I spoke with over there really understood. He, he was one of the few people who really understood um, my concerns. There were a lot of people who just didn't seem to really get why I was, what the threat really was to myself. Um, and this person really understood um, that women get killed by people like this and no one sees it coming until it happens. And, you know, maybe that doesn't happen here, but, you know, you don't mess with that. You, you just, you know, things need to be done to actually protect yourself and protect whomever is in that job. And there were a lot of issues. I mean, it, there were a lot of issues. So yeah, the next few weeks were partially about figuring out recommendations to make to them, um, figuring out recommendations in terms of what I felt was appropriate as a response to what had happened. Basically, basically, unsurprisingly, it um, it all falls to the victim to offer all of the solutions and all of the way forward and do all of the work to figuring out how to fix a problem that you didn't create. And eventually it was becoming very clear that they weren't hiring me back. And it was becoming very clear day after day that they weren't going to do anything about the situation. They were just going to, you know, it, as far as they were concerned, hey, letter of reprimand was written, case closed, it's, it's closed, it's a closed incident. And so I had to figure out real quick, I had to make all kinds of calls. I had to do all the executive functioning to figure out, okay, am I, am I talking with the Human Rights Commission? Am I talking with the Workers' Comp Board? Am I talking, uh, talking with, um, oh, what's the other one? The, there's another one that deals more with the financial side of, of workers' rights. I can't remember what they're even called right now, but basically figuring out what are the different services that are available and and kind of what what happens in a case like this basically like do you like if you're like if you're if you're running into the end of your contract and if your workplace is not doing anything about it and doesn't look like they're going to do anything about it, then 
you know, what do you do? And, and do you have to do it while you're still an employee? Like, are there any, I mean, I've, I've been screwed over by technicalities before. So I know to think about whether or not it's going to be a problem if I have to wait until after I'm no longer employed there to level a complaint of any kind. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I had a, I had a choice to make really quickly and I was trying to make it as quickly and as informedly as I could. Now that choice was, do I try and take this to the board, like my institution's board, or do I need outside help? Do I need to actually take this to some authority, some commission, some, you know, something exterior to my workplace? Now, my concern with that was, yeah, I could definitely take it to the board because that's, that's over my boss's head. And if my boss really insists that there's nothing more that needs to be done, um, sure. But I mean, number one, I, number one, I, I wasn't sure. I just wasn't sure if I could trust them. <sighs> and number two, I wasn't sure if my complaint would carry through once I was no longer an employee. Could it just get dropped? Like, oh, this complaint doesn't really need to be active anymore because she, she doesn't really work here, does she? I don't know. I mean, maybe that's not how they operate, but I mean, I didn't have a whole lot of trust in people by this point. Because um, there even there's even someone else that I haven't mentioned yet who I, I had a lot of faith in. Who, again, I thought was going to be a real friend, potentially. And, and he also really let me down. Um, he was over me, but just under my boss. Um, and really, really let me down. He just... This guy, God, I, I can't make up a third name, but yeah, this guy, all I'll say about him is we were talking about it right after it happened and I, and I was trying to get some advice and I was trying to deal with what had just happened. And he just said, oh, you know, you know, Rob, I mean, I know he's got some odd ideas and like, he's a little, you know, he's a bit of a loner. He's a little strange, I know, but like, he's a good guy. He's a smart guy. You know, he speaks several languages. He's a smart guy. Smart guy good guy. He's a good guy. Like, oh, don't worry. Like, you're not not safe here. He wouldn't hurt you or anything. Of course not. He's a good guy. I'm thinking a good guy who has incredibly hateful opinions about all kinds of people who have never done a darn thing to him and who are marginalized. Victims. He has hateful opinions of victims. Yeah, that uh, sounds like a great guy. You know, just denying the genocide of indigenous peoples and uh, thinks that trans people are evil, liars, and you know, have their own agendas. That's just, what a great guy, sure. So he really disappointed me. 
I, I couldn't believe that, you know, he, he barely listened to me. He just kept talking over me and saying, great guy, great guy. He, oh, no, he's fantastic. He's harmless. He's harmless. Don't worry. He'd never physically hurt you. Well, he'd already done some damage. Let's just say that. I mean, emotionally, I was... Ah, uh, yeah. So, didn't have a whole lot of faith in this place anymore. Let's just say that. And... So, after calling around to figure out which avenues sort of apply to my type of complaint and what can be done, it looked like the Human Rights Commission, which I'm going to say the HRC from now on because it's just going to be a little easier for me to say it. So the Human Rights Commission, HRC, um, turned out to be, it looked like the right avenue. Because, you know, I, I had already ruled out getting a lawyer because I couldn't really afford one. And I couldn't get in touch with uh, CLIA, or I guess they're CLIA now. Um, Community Legal Information Association, used to be association. Now it's, I think, just CLIA. Um, couldn't get anyone to call me back. Uh, so that was kind of out. And then um, media, I, I thought, I mean, maybe... But, I mean, there was that whole thing of, like, yeah, but this is, like, this involves a relative of my friend. Like, I don't want to just, I, and this friend is part of a group of friends for me, and, and I just don't know if I could do this to this person um, when this all might be able to get worked out another way. I, I just, it didn't seem like something that I could go to at the time. So, yeah, I decided uh, HRC was the right way to go. Yeah, it uh, turned out to not be the right way to go. Um, it was an incredibly stressful process, clear as mud. Um, turns out, too, I realized much later, well, I was told much later, um, as things just kept going and as things weren't going well, and as I realized how the... HRC, apparently, they're, they're not a victim service. Um, to them, like, yeah, they'll listen to both sides and see what can be done, but um, they're not actually there for restorative justice. Um, they're not there for the victim. They're, they're not there to look at who did something wrong to someone else and then make them fix it. That's, that's not what they do. They're there to sort of facilitate some sort of common, mutually agreed upon stalemate, basically. Um, yeah, there are some things that you can ask for, but they're not there to actually help the victim. So, uh, I mean, they're not there to screw you over on purpose, but they're not there to actually help the victim. So they encourage you to do things like, well, you know, for, I guess the, the process is like you, you take all of this time to write out everything that happened. You, you write this detailed, detailed, detailed account of everything and you send in a complaint. And then what happens is, um, they get in touch with the workplace in question, the workplace has a chance to respond. 
And did this workplace ever respond? They got someone to write this up, someone who wasn't connected in any way with any of this stuff. Someone completely unconnected. I guess they filled her in a little bit. I don't know. But um, basically, the response that I got, which I still have, um, boy, was it disappointing because I, I put so much care and so much mental agony and effort into being so detailed and, and making it something that is understandable and, and readable from top to bottom so that you can really see the progression of exactly what happened, something clear and understandable. And they, they throw this jumble of crap back at me that it looks like no one's even reread to, to proofread it, or it's just this mess of, yeah, no, we reviewed the security tape, which, oops, by the way, um, only is kept in the like storage bank or what have you uh, for 30 days. And um, even though she told us what happened like the day after it happened, um, we kind of forgot to save it. Um, yeah. So like we have footage from that night, but I mean, we had footage from that night, but uh, kind of don't have it anymore. Whoops. And... They didn't have audio, but they said, oh yeah, we had footage of that night. It didn't look like she was feeling threatened or anything. Well, was I supposed to make it obvious the, so that he would, like, get in my face and, like, freak out at me or something? I mean, I was kind of going into, let's protect ourselves mode, okay? Um, so yeah, they just said, oh yeah, it didn't look like she was feeling uncomfortable or anything. Yeah, no, it just shows me cornered in a hall with this guy listening to all this stuff and just generally being shocked and shall i remind you zero audio so basically they confirmed that all of this happened exactly as i said that they also don't have any of that proof anymore um and that obviously i didn't look uncomfortable because what am i supposed to look like i'm uh like just running screaming um i don't know throwing things like what what's a normal response to being trapped alone with somebody who's making you real uncomfortable. Yeah, no, no, you don't let on that you're uncomfortable because you're alone. What's going to happen if they take offense to that, if they start freaking out at you? What, I mean, really, really. Anyway, just all kinds of stuff about how apparently I misconstrued the whole situation. I didn't really understand. Yes, he said some things that weren't really great, but he didn't mean them the way that she says that he meant them. No, no, no. She she took it one way, and uh, no. even though I had appended all of the comments that he had made, which were, oh my god, not misconstruable. They were downright heinous. Uh, yeah, I had appended those to my initial complaint, and uh, don't see how those could be misunderstood, because they were pretty out there and very specific. And did I mention he spewed over an hour of them at me, all told? Yeah. Oh, I totally misunderstood all of that. What can I say? Guess I'm a dum-dum. Hmm. As if. So, uh, that was frustrating, to say the least. And so what happens is, they rebut, which they did. It was terrible. And then you get a chance to talk about what their letter said. And that was horrible. 
going through that mess piece by piece. I need to get help with this. Piece by piece of all of this ridiculousness of what they said. And how they kept not actually addressing any of the problems that I had addressed in my thing. Like, nothing. It was it was a mess. And it was... So, yeah. Put something together uh, in response to that madness. Sent that in. More time goes by. And then they, something, they send something in in response to your response. So, like, a fourth communication. Me, them, me, them. And what they wrote this time was just... They didn't respond to any of the things that I said in the second letter that I wrote either. You know, the, the things that I... The really important things where I was like, Hey guys, you're not getting it. And you're not talking about any of these important things. Hello? Any comment? Nope, they just casually ignored everything of importance in there. And just continued to say... You know, oh, we've we've done everything we can. We, we've, uh, we've got like this education stuff coming up for people. It's voluntary, so you know, Rob doesn't have to go. Ted doesn't have to go. Yeah, no, everything's fine. And again, I'll remind you, in none of these letters do they ever address the. Uh, Hey, what about Ted? Are you guys ever going to talk about the fact that he's racist? Dealing closely with people who are super vulnerable from other countries that he doesn't respect. And, um, did he move my pride flag in my own workspace? Nope, that just never came up. They just, they casually ignored that entirely. It just never came up. Never, never, never. And it was about at that point where I reached out to a lawyer because I just thought, you know, maybe just in case, let me reach out to one to see if there's any chance they'd take me on on spec, which I don't even know if they do, and just see if I can tell someone what's happening and get any kind of help because, like, this is just, what is this madness? So... I explained this whole thing to the lawyer, and she was fantastic. Unfortunately, though, because the uh, one of the things that the HRC advises you to do pretty much immediately is they they tell you to think about the things that you would like as restitution, as reparation, the things that you want to ask for. Now, that can be... I want my job back. That can be, I want a severance package. That can be, I need letters of reference. Um, it can be all kinds of things. And so, because I'm not an expert in how to do these kinds of things, Because, I mean, why would I be an expert? I'm just a victim of hate speech. Why would I be an expert in what to do when you're a victim of hate speech? It's not like it comes up every day. At least not for a specific person with someone coming up to their face and spewing it at them. Um, so, I mean, <laughs> I, I <laughs> understandably deferred to the people at HRC to find out what I'm supposed to do with all of this process. Yeah, so they advised 
vehemently that you're supposed to think about what you would like and make a list of those things. Submit that. And I had at the start. And apparently what I didn't understand and this lawyer explained to me even if she did take me on, which there wouldn't be much point at this point, even now she didn't say it like that, she was quite kind, but even if she did, there isn't much she could help me with at this point, because I had, not really knowingly, already entered into negotiations. And when you've already entered into negotiations and you've already created a starting point, you can't really just start over and say, actually, I, I kind of want to start higher up. Can we start negotiating up there instead? Now you've already started and, you know, they, you kind of, you know, negotiate after that to a, a point that's kind of in between somewhere for the, you know, two parties or what have you. As most, I mean, that's not always what should happen, but, you know, but you can't just like negotiate higher. That That's not, you can't negotiate above your starting point. That's your starting point. You always start high. That's how a negotiation works. But I didn't realize that that's what I had done. I, I thought that I was making suggestions as to what could be done. I, I didn't really understand, and I didn't understand that in doing that, I effectively waived legal help. I, and I mean, ADHD, I, I really could have used the help, especially administratively. I, I mean, doing all of this, something so stressful, something personal, I mean, we can do stressful things for other people, but ourselves, oh boy. So, you know, here's me, jobless. This is dragging out for months and months and months. And it, it's just... And apparently, I was already past the point of help. At about the point where I realized... Like, because I... During one of my conversations with the HRC, I, I said, like... I don't really understand, like, why aren't you guys, like, don't you guys care that I'm a victim? Like, I don't understand. He said, well, this isn't really a victim service. Like, this is, this is to help facilitate things for both parties. Like, it's, it's more for the common good of society rather than to help the victim as a victim service. It's not what they do. They weren't clear about that to, to begin with. I, I had no idea. So, yeah. Um, in the end, I took the best deal that I could possibly get, foreseeably. Because also, if you, if you don't take, if you don't accept what is seen as being a reasonable offer, then eventually, because it doesn't just keep going back and forth, back and forth with letters indefinitely. At some point, um, an arbitrator or an arbitration board, I uh, can't remember which, gets involved, and they decide, okay, um, is this reasonable, what the institution has offered this employee? And if it's anywhere near reasonable, and the employee says, no, that's just not right, that's not enough, you don't understand, no, they can throw out the case, they can close the file and dismiss it. And this is what the lawyer warned me about at that point was, listen, like, it's not ideal, but also be careful that 
this is a strategy that workplaces use with the HRC is let's make an offer that seems broadly reasonable. Yes, insulting, but also broadly reasonable. So that if, you know, if Chantal decides, oh, this is just insulting. Yep, we can just get this entire thing thrown out and it's over. So then I was scared of that and had to figure out, what do I do? In the end, what I got was a $1,000 donation on on my, um, not on my behalf, but at my behest, to Pierce Alliance, which was wonderful. Now, they didn't have to tell them why they were giving it to them, which is less wonderful, but um, at least they got the money. And I got $1,000 to get therapy because I don't have benefits. I'm unemployed. My spouse is unemployed. Like, it's just been a really hard year. And after all of this, oh boy, did I ever need therapy. So that was good too. I got a paltry, and I mean paltry, letter of apology from the institution. Which I had to make them rewrite several times because it was remarkably insulting. It was more of a letter of regret that, oh, some sort of an event happened. Oh dear. Uh-huh. Yep, no, that's not an apology. Um, I mean, it's still not great, but I got the best one that I could. I'll explain why. And two letters of reference, which are also not amazing. But I couldn't get them to rewrite these more because, as it turns out, uh, the last contact I had with HRC, apparently, and this is the real satisfaction for me, apparently none of the people who would have worked closely with me and who would have been able to give me a reference work there anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, Ted and Rob might still work there. Who knows? They wouldn't be the ones they'd be asking anyway, obviously. Um, but at the very least, the people who let me down the most, who I trusted, who were supposed to help me, it kind of sounds like they don't work there anymore. And I don't care if it's, you know, it, it could be several things. It could be that the board was really displeased with them for dragging this out and making such a fuss about something that should have been easy enough to deal with. Could be that. Could be that things got real toxic real fast in that workplace. And it just wasn't good to work there anymore. It could have been all kinds of things. <laughs> but you know what? For whatever reason, they're not there anymore. I'm still satisfied that it's not just same old, same old back there. It's not just life goes on for everyone as usual. No problems. It sounds like something got shaken up at least. Because I didn't let it go. 
Was this whole thing worth the damage to myself? I have no idea. Personally? I don't know. It's, um... <sighs> it cost me my mental health in a lot of ways for a long time. It cost me so much effort, it caused me so much grief, so much stress, I can't even... Ah, oh, and so much anger, and anger takes a lot of energy. So I don't know if, if the, you know, if what I got as an ending point balances out what it took from me. But I also know that if I hadn't, I mean, I'd still have all that anger that I had. I'd still be stressed. I'd still be just messed up from it because it happened again. I, I got thrown under the bus again. I lost my job and, and Rob, who hate speeched at me for over an hour, Rob ended up being the one still still in his job, still getting paid doing his job, but also he ended up being the one who had taken over my responsibilities at the reception desk after I didn't get rehired. So... Where was I even going with that? Oh gosh, train of thought, late at night. Um, yeah, um... Ah, I still would have been stressed. That still would have been wrong. Uh, and, and I don't know that I could have lived with... It just would have kept gnawing at me, knowing that these people can just get away with stuff like this without even someone making it difficult for them. Because even if I got nothing out of this, like even if they had given me zero concessions in the end, I still would have at least wasted a whole bunch of their time. I would have used up a bunch of their time, their energy, their resources in keeping this going and dragging it out to completion. And there's something to be said for that, you know what I mean? There's still something to be said for you made it kind of glaringly obvious to the board that there's a problem at least. You know, it's not something that got shushed up and swept under the rug. It's a problem. You made it a problem. I mean, it already was a problem. That's the other thing. I just, I hate when things like this come up and it's like, ah, oh, it's almost like quote-unquote, it's not a problem until you make it a problem? No! It's already a problem, and it's going to be a problem whether you sweep it under the rug or not. My complaining about it and bringing it to light doesn't create the problem. Rob created the problem. Ted created the problem. And then the other guys facilitated the problem more and more and enabled it and just normalized it like it's fine. And, and stripped away any possibility of actually having policy around this that makes any sort of difference. So, you know, one way or another I would have had an effect. It's just, I gotta say, it still takes a heck of a lot out of a person. Let's just put it that way. Why don't we?
and this year, like, God, that took most of the year. I don't think I finished most of this up until September, maybe. So it was ongoing since the start of December of last year. I mean, that was one heck of a thing. Now, I've still done things that I was happy with and proud about this year, and, and also that were stressful. Like, ah, honestly, after that one, I mean, I had always known that it would probably be... It's not that working for yourself is, is like guaranteed to be a successful thing, but my gosh, you know, ADHD, we're actually, uh, is it three times more likely than people who don't have ADHD to, um, to start our own business? And I mean, you know, when we lean into something that we're passionate about, uh, we tend to rock it. We're, we're pretty good. I mean, we hyper-focus, we know what we're doing. So... Yeah, uh, you know, I kind of knew even before all of this, especially after Invesco, I kind of knew that employment could just be scary. Uh, employers can turn on you at the blink of an eye. I know what the working climate is like right now. You know, it's very do more with less. It's very let's use up the workers and then we'll just get more workers who are new and fresh and you know, just cut, cut, cut wherever we can and pay out as many dividends as we can to our shareholders. And, uh, you know, that's, that's going to be how we run things. That's, that's called success. Um, so I, I knew that, um, the healthiest avenue possible for me was probably to look at self-employment of some kind, or even in some amount, just, you know, partially self-employed and partially employed elsewhere. Um, so this year, uh, especially after all of that business, yeah, um, yeah, in January, I, uh, I had a strike of inspiration. It, um, it struck me. It, uh, I've been into art my whole life. Um, I didn't get lessons as a kid or anything like that. I, um, I did a little bit in university. I took a course little dabblage and um but I've kind of kept going over the years and uh yeah I really wanted to lean into something that tied into fountain pen stuff correspondence that sort of thing you know more the analog side of, of stuff that hobby of mine and um something that really felt safe, cozy, something that made other people feel safe and cozy. So in January, I had this idea for this drawing and instantly I thought, like I, I had that, you know, that moment where the ADHD light bulb goes on and you think, oh, I, I now see this very clearly lit path, not necessarily an easy one, but a very clear path from this idea to actually bringing something to fruition. Oh, I I could make my own art. I can manufacture something myself and sell it myself. Oh. So, yeah, this this drawing that I made it was just finally after all the years of doing art of know, doodling and drawing and making things for myself and, you know, making cards and stuff and, you know, making little gifts for people that I love. 
um, I just had this this sudden vibe that was kind of coming in of like, oh yeah, you know, something rustic and cozy and and I just had this real need for comfort. <laughs> you can imagine why after all of that. So, and then suddenly I could see doing a series of these of six different drawings of kind of a similar theme. And then, I mean, why wouldn't I just, you know, I, I, I could never really sell my originals. I, I don't feel, I don't like the idea of that. They're, they're personal to me. They're meaningful. I don't like the idea of selling them. So, but I thought, why not? I, I could absolutely make copies of these. I could turn them into cards, correspondence cards. And then I got this idea of, okay, I'll make this series of six of them and I'll make kind of a special new product. I'll, I'll make these really big correspondence cards. You know, they're like a postcard, but big so that people who don't have a lot of money like me can just buy some art. They can buy a piece of art that makes them feel cozy and safe. You know, something that, you know, if you're in a horrible office space, like I have been years ago, you know, you can look at it and just feel like just for a few seconds, you can have that moment of escapism, even if it's just for a few seconds, you know, just something to clamp your eyes onto and feel, I'm not here. I am not in this cubicle. And it doesn't necessarily help more than that, but you know, still something, just something to delve into for a moment. And yeah, make these things that were, you know, really high print quality. Um, just, yeah, something accessible so that, yeah, you could either put it up on your wall or you could frame it or you could mail it and it, it would be fine for either, you know, didn't matter which. And then, yeah, that turned into, um, I, it took me months, but I made the first set. I made six images and they took longer and longer and longer and, uh, I'm honestly, I'm, I'm insanely proud of them. Um, they're sweet. They're cute. They've, <laughs> one of them is, I don't know if anyone's going to remember this. This is really going to tell my age. Um, they're like my age group. Uh, the North American house hippo. <laughs> oh, it was a PSA back in the nineties in Canada. Oh, it's these tiny little hippopotamuses, maybe the size of mice. <laughs> like, roam around your, your home at night and they eat the remnants of peanut butter on toast and they're, they're getting into a chip bag and they're drinking from the cat's water bowl while the cat's looking at them from across the room and they settle down into a, a pile of fluff and lost mittens <laughs> and they slip, sleep 16 hours a day and anyway, they're so cute and then I think the part that some people have either like me felt was like the biggest letdown after seeing that or sometimes just written out completely from their memory as <laughs> the end of the PSA where they say oh yeah that looked really real didn't it but you knew that it couldn't be that's why it's important to ask questions when you watch tv kind of like you just did and I'm thinking I asked no questions about that that was great and I was excited about waiting up for them at night and trying to see if I could catch a glimpse kind of like Santa Claus um <laughs> nope <laughs> did did not feel like your your uh whatever viewer you were expecting me to be here. 
So um, anyway, I, I've got a couple of them that are with an ink bottle for like size reference. They're so cute. And they're sleeping in a bundle of fuzz and um, some cat stuff. Lots of just lots of analog feels. That's why I called that set Analog Canadiana. And so I'm selling them as a set of six together as large cards, which are really beautiful. I'm, I'm just so proud of like the whole package just looks, oh, I just can't get over like I made that. And then I'm also selling them as um, smaller little greeting cards that are sold separately, like individually as like a card with envelope. Um, but like that took so much executive function. Oh my gosh, all of the little details in doing a project like that, which you, you wouldn't think, I mean, it's a simple project. It's a, it's a relatively modest undertaking but all of the things that were involved all of the problem solving I I had to figure out how to get paper that was of a certain thickness and sturdiness because thickness isn't necessarily sturdiness something can be thick and too soft um like too flimsy um how to find something like that of the right thickness um that I can still cut myself that I can still pass through a printer. Also finding the right printer. Oh my good god. Finding a printer that can do a certain resolution and also get the really deep blacks that you need for for pencil art, because this is all done in pencil. Um, So you need, you know, really good depth when you're doing this stuff. Um, So there was all of, like, figuring out the printer. The paper was harder than it ever should have been. Sourcing that stuff was just not easy. And also... My goodness, that is not a product that's easy to search for either, because apparently 110 pound paper, I mean, that's just the pounds per a certain surface area. I think it might be per square meter, if I'm not mistaken. There are a few different measurements that that can be used. Um, But, you know, you can have two different things that are 110 pound paper, and one of them is thicker than another. One of them is sturdier than another. There are so many other qualities that are not accounted for in the weight measurement, but all you get is the weight measurement. Or sometimes you get the weight measurement and the thickness, but again, that doesn't tell you the sturdiness, the, the, um, what am I looking for? Uh, the density. And, you know, density doesn't always equal weight. Something can be really dense and light. Something could also be quite thin and heavier. So... It was just a whole thing of testing different papers, getting samples sent, seeing what samples I could get sent, um, which ones are even shippable to Canada, uh, what place to go through. Like, it was just, it was this enormous headache that I never thought. And then I, I thought, oh, you know, packaging, that'll not be a big deal. No problem. But then it it eventually, finally really hit me. Oh, no, actually, that is going to be a big deal. Um, I have to do something with it and it, it can't be something I, I just don't love the idea of, you know, those plastic sleeves and like you take it off of the card, like a greeting card or something and throw it in the garbage. So like, yeah, I get that it was there to like protect the thing from getting dirty or whatever, but like, it's a thing that I don't love stuff that you have to remove and throw out immediately upon opening the thing. So I really wanted something that wasn't like that in the least. Um, 
especially for these sets of six. The other ones, you know, they can be stuffed in the envelope and they're fine. It's a dark envelope. But um, the sets of six, oh man. Which also do come with envelopes because uh, I thought like not everyone feels comfortable sending like something like that just like in the mail. They might not be comfortable that like what if it's, you know, what if there's some rain on a mailbox and it, I don't know, messes up your writing or something. Who knows? But um, those do also come with envelopes. But yeah, just something that keeps those six together and doesn't just get thrown away. So <clears throat> it ended up being, uh, oh, there were, there were so many types of packaging that were so expensive that I couldn't afford as like this tiny just me with like no money startup just doing this humble little project and then other things that were cheaper just didn't really work it just didn't work so many things just didn't work for the thickness of of the product for the everything the size that like everything it just it was really hard finding something that wouldn't get thrown away and eventually i settled on folders like presentation folders and i found a place canadian and the workers are canadian so like everyone is getting paid a canadian wage um i i'm not excited about outsourcing either um mm -mm. <laughs> no i, I kind of have some kind of have some ethical boundaries can you tell uh because like I, it's not my choice to to have to exist within a, a hyper capitalistic um system here but uh it doesn't mean i have to feed into it so anyway so finding this solution and then it turned out okay so i could do these but then that meant wait you have to do design work now and i've i've never done that type of like and then I realized, oh, you need a logo. Like, you need an actual logo. Oh, jeez. And then it was, the logo took me, I thought it was going to take me a week. I thought, ADHD, I can do this. I can do this. I had something in mind. I just didn't realize how complicated what I had in mind was going to be. Yeah. Oh, because I, I thought all of this analog stuff, all of this really... You know, hearkening back to the attractive bits of an older time while really just cutting out all of the bad. Just some of the nice aesthetics of the past without, you know, because like history, I mean, oh my gosh. There are, there are nice things. There are things to appreciate from it. There are also a lot of things to learn from it, shall we say. So anyway, um, just kind of having this nice vintage aesthetic a little bit victorian you know i, I really like the flourishes of, of victorian uh label design and logo design you know those those pretty little you know little leaves and stuff and little swirls and twirls and all of that stuff i just find really pretty it just so pretty so i wanted to do something like that but also have my name in it and i had to figure out do, do i use my last name in there because like no one can pronounce it and i it grates on me when people try so uh-uh i thought nope we're, i don't want to hear that from from as many people as possible so nope okay we're just we're doing something completely different than that um 
And yeah, the logo design, just learning how to do it and looking up references and trying different things and figuring out, okay, no, that doesn't work. And why doesn't that work? Okay, okay, okay. How do I fix this? Do I start from scratch again? Do I, what's wrong with this shape? What's wrong with this spacing? What's wrong with just hard at it, hyper-focusing for a month? Yep. No, it took me a month, not a week, a month for the logo design. And I did it myself and I hammered through and I will say I'm proud of that thing. And I'm not really a huge fan of companies constantly updating their logo design. I mean, unless it's something that's like, guys, uh uh-uh, what have you done with like, no, you can't have that. No, you can't have that in your logo. That's just, mm -mm. unless it's something like that. But like, if it's just something where like, I don't know, it's a little retro or whatever, guys like just you have brand recognition people recognize your logo do you have to spiff it up every 10 years can you not just sort of leave it alone and let it let it acquire some age you know let it acquire some age let it stand out from the stuff of of right now that are starting up you know yeah why not so yeah i I just wanted to get something I was happy with and then just leave it. And I I hope I'll still agree with what I'm saying here later. I think I will. But yeah, just get something I like and then just leave it. If there are flaws, so be it. That's just, that's my logo. That's what it's going to be. So I got that done. The logo took a month. My goodness, did the design work for the actual folder take forever? ever and agonizing over the wording of what I was going to put on the back because I, I wanted to talk a little bit about you know who I am because if you're supporting me I, you kind of want to know I don't know am I an arsehole do I hate people do I I don't know do I have horrible views of certain groups it's kind of important to know that I feel um if you can know that it's nice to know that. And especially when it comes to an artist and supporting an artist, I just sort of wanted to put something personal about myself, a little note. And so figuring out how to word that in a space that's an exact size and you don't want it too much longer and you don't want it too much shorter was just like, oh, the brain. Oh, that was tough on the brain. And then, yeah, the, the cover stuff, the layout of like, how how do I put the specs on there and where do I put the logo and all of that was just and then special designs for the inside because I I wanted to add little elements like a a stamp but a stamp that's actually like a vintage stamp like a real one from ages ago but that has one of my pictures on it and that all has to be the same texture as the rest of the stamp and that you know things like that or like little um, ink stamp things that were in there that harken back to um, older days in post offices where they had these very specific stamps. And I wanted to put them on there as if they were actually on there. And, and so all of this stuff that I had to do on the computer, I, I just, I had never done any of this work before. I'd never used some of these programs. It, it was this huge undertaking of, let's not just do it. Let's also learn how to do it. <laughs> and then, yeah. And then I did another set of six and another folder design, etc., for the holidays, um, non-denominational. I kind of like inclusivity. 
Um, just, I, I can't imagine why anyone would want to, like, ah, uh, why wouldn't someone want to be inclusive? I just, everyone deserves to be included. Everyone deserves to be respected for who they are and how they want to live. And so long as, this is the, the main caveat is, so long as it doesn't encroach on other people's right to do the same. It's like freedom of speech. Freedom of speech isn't real freedom of speech unless there are protections so that someone's freedom of speech doesn't encroach on someone else's rights to feel safe and valued and and safe. <laughs> Just safe. Can you tell I'm annoyed? So anyway, yeah, it's, um, yeah, there have been some good things. I, I actually, I mean, I have registered a business. I accidentally started my own business. I have my own business. I still haven't gotten the website up and running. I mean, I have the domain name, but, uh, haven't done anything to it yet. But I mean, I, I now have my stuff at the bookmark over here in Charlottetown, and I have my stuff, uh, it's coming to Wonderpens in Toronto, and I mean, those are, those are two stores that are really precious to me, um, they, you know, they're my happy place of, you know, if, if you're buying yourself some dopamine, um, those are the places that have, you know, the nice curated books, and, you know, the analog supplies for slowing down and making something pretty to send for somebody. It's just incredibly amazing to me that I, that they liked it, that they liked my stuff and that they actually decided to carry it and, and give me a chance. That's kind of amazing. So, I mean, I, I do have a lot to be very happy about that I've done this year. It's just, I wish that it hadn't been um, I wish that all of that hadn't been happening at the same time as all of the other stress of, of trying to sort out a mess that I didn't make. So, um, I guess to wrap this up, because I, I know it is quite long, and now it's, uh, 11.28 p.m. <laughs> God. Ah, New Year's Eve. Yep, New Year's coming soon here. I do want to talk a little bit about New Year's. So last year, I, I, I must have it written down somewhere. I know that last year, one of my major goals was, let's learn more about ADHD, and let's learn more about specifically my ADHD. And I've done that. I've started to do that. I've been doing that. That's been good. I'd like to podcast more because I miss this. Um, it's just that uh, between depression and all of the other stuff that I've been huh, mentioning, it's kind of fallen through the cracks for a little bit. But um, one of the things with ADHD uh, that I'm letting myself do is I know that if I don't start lots of things, nothing will really... I. I can't just 
I can't only start things that I know I'm going to finish. Um, I need to start lots of things and then pick them up, put them down, pick them up, put them down, pick them up. And like that, that's how I finish things by having multiple things to, you know, go through and, and pick away at. And so I am going to keep doing this podcast and it is okay. I am going to let myself know that it's okay that I stopped for a while. I still have a lot to say and I have a lot to keep learning about my ADHD and about ADHD in general and about ADHD for women. And yeah. Um, so yeah, that was one of my goals for last year. Ah, oh, this year, goals slash wishes. Um, I'm not, I don't really do goals that I hold myself to and that I would feel bad for, for not. Um, if, if you are doing a goal that is quite concrete, etc., um, you might want to look at, uh, I think there's something on ADHD PEI, uh, the website about, or possibly on Facebook, we usually talk around this time of year about a, is it called like a restart plan or something like that? I can't remember. Basically, the idea is for whatever goal you've set for yourself, if you've done a resolution or something, um, looking at it and making a plan for what happens if it's kind of pittered out and you've sort of stagnated on that thing or you've kind of gotten away from it and... My spouse is vacuuming. I'm hoping that that doesn't pick up too much. Um, yeah, basically having a restart program of, okay, if I've started to learn guitar and then I put it away for six months, what's my, what's my plan to get back into it? Like, how do I, how do I slowly get back into that? How do I make it okay that I've, I mean, quote unquote failed, you know, you might feel like you failed. I don't think you will have failed, but you know, if that's how you're feeling, like you failed at this thing, what's your plan to get back into it? How do you, how do you sort of do that? So preparing for having dropped the thing that you were going to try and do and figuring out how to get back into it. And that's the same for, um, fitness goals. You know, if you're like, I really want to, you know, get better cardio. I feel like I'm always out of breath. Um, you know, anything like that, that's like habit you know, something that you need to do habitually, um, prepare for, okay, well, what happens when possibly I just sort of give up on it for a while or, or don't have the time for it for a while and then get out of this routine? How do I pick it back up? So anyway, I, I don't do a lot of goals that would be that kind of goal, but if you do have a look at that type of thing, restart plan is good. I don't think that's what they call it, but maybe it is. I can't remember. Um, my goals for this year or maybe wishes for this year. I'm just really hoping for more stability. Um, I would love to make more just mental capacity for doing some of the things that I love that have kind of fallen by the wayside this year. Like I, I haven't really done a lot of letter writing or anything. I've, I've been really unable because depression to be in touch with people that I care about and who are probably wondering if I've fallen off the face of the earth or if I, for some reason, don't like them anymore or something. You know, I, uh, 
I hope they don't think that, but that's that's something that I'm hoping to do this year because, oh my goodness, the list is long for people that I have not been in touch with nearly enough, nearly as much as I want to be. Um, yeah, hobbies, um, just taking it a little slower, because uh, I, I was really going at quite a breakneck pace with, with the art, with the business stuff of like, how do I get this all done in time for the holiday season and the fall and all of that stuff. So just now that I have some of that front end stuff done, just starting to slow down the pace a little bit and focus on being steadier, healthier. I, I would love to get my mental health back under control if ever the depression will just let go. Ah, uh, it's like a it's like a dog who's just you know picked up something with their mouth that they're not putting, and you go drop it, drop it, drop it, drop it, and you know. But you ah, uh, you you cannot you cannot always get the jaws of depression to open when you want them to, or a dog for that matter, I suppose. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, I I would just love for things to be. Just a little bit chiller, possibly intentionally, than than they were last year. This past year, this has been. Oh my God, I'm I'm so incredibly glad to see the end of this year. Things that I've hated about this year, I think that's obvious. Things that I've loved about this year, all kinds of parenting stuff. I I love. I love my child. It's great fun to have a little person running around and, and do things together. And I mean, honestly, all of the patience that it takes, I mean, it just kind of gives you a feeling of, even when you're exhausted and, and like, you know, third days, but I still get to feel a sense of accomplishment that is mine. I got through the day. And I, my spouse too. But like, I got through the day. I I got through this issue of, you know, he, he took this nasty tumble and, and he was crying and I helped him through that and everything was fine. And I checked him out and I made sure he was fine and everything was fine. And then, you know, we did something happy together and everything was fine. And it's, you know, these are things that I directly do that I get to immediately see the outcome of, and, you know, it's great. Um, I've also watched a lot of anime this year. I've, it's never, I don't think I had ever watched an anime before. Maybe. But a friend of mine, who also has become just so much of a, a closer friend this year than ever, you know, I, I think I met him last fall, maybe? But I mean, ADHD, we both have a very similar kind, very similar brains, and we just, we click. And yeah, a friend of mine uh, really knows my taste and just recommend recommended this, this great list of animes that I can watch. And oh, what's nice is that they're just, so many of them are so low stakes. Apparently there's a whole genre of anime that's just slice of life 
yeah, it's just following someone's, you know, slice of life. You know, a, a little period they're going through, a, a thing that they're doing, a, you know, just something super chill and, you know, just mundane in the most pleasant ways sometimes, but also not mundane at all. You just get really invested in this stuff and it's great. Um, so I've, I've watched some wonderful, wonderful animes. My absolute favorite that I seem to just, I can't get it off my mind. It's so... Oh, it's so good. I've I've never been the sort to obsess about a show or, or something, to, you know, like, ah, oh, this one just won't let go of me. Yuri on Ice. Yuri on Ice was a 2016 anime, and my goodness, is it a wonderful love story between, um, it's a, it's about male figure skating, and it's, it's it's a character who I, I, I would swear would have ADHD. Um, Yuri is, is just so anxious and he has terrible self-confidence. But he's also a really talented skater. And he's definitely got the hyper-focus. And um, he, he just, he feels like his career has fallen flat because every time he gets to a point of competition that's really, really serious, he just, he chokes. Um, and then his... Uh, absolute, like, super crush slash idol in male skating decides to take a season off from competing and coach him, and he has no idea why. <laughs> and they just, they're this wonderful, wonderful item. They're so compatible. It's, it reminds me of, uh, Oh, is it California Zoo? There's a zoo... I want to say San Francisco, maybe. Anyway, there's a there's a zoo somewhere who had this program. They might still... They probably do. Of um, So cheetahs, apparently, can be very, very, very anxious and afraid of people. And they realized that by pairing baby cheetahs with puppies, the baby cheetahs could relax a bit and would be just less terrified on the whole of handlers trying to feed them or what have you and, and people being around. They'd be a lot less, less anxious. They'd be happier because the puppy is their best friend. They, you know, they sleep together. They grow up together. And if the puppy is, you know, okay with this, then I guess it must be fine. Okay, the puppy is not worried right now. I guess I should be okay. Okay, I guess I trust him. It must be fine. And yeah, it's... Oh, Yuri and and his Victor. Uh, they are like cheetah and puppy. Super adorable. So that's a highlight of my year. And yeah, just lots of little good moments. Lots of great things that I've watched that have been really soothing to the depression. And... Uh, yeah, just lots of little things, lots of little moments this year that I don't even know if I could put into a list, but yeah. And also ADHD PEI. Oh, thank goodness for those weekly support group meetings. Oh, man. That's another thing that's been wonderful this year. I've been really glad for those.
really glad. And really glad for those people. I've met some really, really great people who I just connect with immediately and, and we all understand each other. It's like we speak the same language somehow. It's like if, um, I was going to say, it's, it's like if twins have that sort of twin language, except, you know, in a very different way, I suppose. We, we all speak ADHD and uh, it's it's just really nice to be in a space that's so comfortable. So a lot of good things this year, but also some bad things that I just never want to have to talk about again. So yeah, at least now with this recording, if someone asks me, oh yeah, that whole thing with that shock, what happened there? I, if I feel like I can't talk about it, I can just say, you know, I can't talk about it. I, here's a link if you'd actually like to know, like, that's perfectly fine if you do, and, you know, I just don't know if I can tell the story again. Yeah. I really hope that 2023 is kind to me, and kind to my family, and kind to you, and kind to anyone you love. I hope it's easy. I hope it's nice and consistent. Uh, that's that's the best thing that I could hope for. <sighs> I hope that you had a wonderful holiday season, whatever you celebrate or don't celebrate, whatever was going on, if you had lots of you know, stuff happening, events, events you weren't going to, events you wanted to go to but couldn't go to, you know, any of that stuff. I hope that, I hope that you had a season that was not a horrible thing to endure, because we all know that sometimes that can be the case. I hope that you have a good new year, and thank you for listening, and um, I hope that my story at least provide some good information so that anyone else who's going through something like this either feels less alone or has more of an idea of how this all works than I did going into it. All right. Have a great night, guys. Happy New Year's. Cheers. Bye-bye.